Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Hey everybody, how's it going? I'm oh crap. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> you got so far. <laughs> you did so well. I have your host Jimmy Wong. Eli, just keep it. Go ahead. All right, and it's how's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. <laughs> did we fool you? It's the Planar Chaos episode. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> wow. Today we're talking again back to talk about mana bases in EDH part two. If you guys missed part one, uh, it is uh, episode 39. It's the episode we released on Tuesday. And uh, you want to give a brief summary of what we talked about? Yeah, it's really about how lands make up your mana base, like what part of your mana base is mm-hmm. land specific. So we really went deep on lands, land count, you know, color spread, percentages and stuff like that. So yeah. you probably want to listen to that episode first. Uh, before you listen to this one, because they're definitely very tied together. You know, the both episodes combined are going to yeah. be a really good deep look at building your mana base. And also, you need to listen to last week's episode Ooh. if you were involved in Dragon Week in any way, because we announced the winners. Dragon Week! Not just the big winners from the top seven, we also announced the community champion. Yeah. Who everybody who participated in Dragon Week was eligible for. So you might have won a fat pack of Dragons of Darkir and not know it. Yeah. So go back to episode 39. And if you did win and you haven't emailed, uh, uh, la, 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 emailed us yet, make sure you guys send us an email with your mailing address at commandcast at rockajump.com. We cannot send you uh, cool prizes if we don't know where to send it. That's right. Uh, and another quick announcement, GP Vegas, which is shaping up, and no, it straight up will be the largest magic tournament ever. It might be the largest face-to-face gaming tournament ever. Yeah, it really probably is. Really good chance is. it will be. Yeah, It's going to happen simultaneously around the world in, I think, three different locations uh, for the release of Modern Masters 2. Um, it's going to be a super high-value set. It's going to be a lot of fun to draft, too, I'm sure. Um, and that's happening May 28th to the 31st. They're going to have... And the in cool Las thing Vegas. Is, yeah, you don't even need to play the main event. They have all these side events. For 30 bucks. you're going to get in the Modern Masters draft. And also, Jimmy and I will be there. Yeah, I think so, I think we might go down a little early, actually, and yeah, hang around. What are we playing on, Wednesday? Yeah, maybe Wednesday, maybe even earlier, because Memorial Day is actually the 25th, so oh, really? some of us might have... Out. 
I cannot spend uh, nine days in Vegas. I'll be buried in a ditch by the time <laughs> the GP comes around. You'll be buried in the ditch in a bag, yeah. and it'll say, this man cheated me once too many <laughs> times. You, you just went too hard on the uh, craps tables. Yeah, that's the problem. It's not the magic. It's the craps tables. Um, if you, you know, a lot of people have asked us, like, are we going to be at here or there? Mm-hmm. Can they play EDH with us? We get tweeted a lot when people are in, in LA, and, and we do try to to get together and play EDH with people. But GP Vegas is going to be a great place. We're definitely planning on having some kind of gathering for our listeners that are there. Yeah. Having like a big EDH throwdown night or... Yeah, with us and the Masters of Modern Podcast as yeah, well. Yeah, Masters of Modern Podcast. Um, and maybe doing like a big mashup conspiracy draft with everybody. Maybe Ooh, that would both. Be sweet. Yeah. You know, the the guys from the Five Commanders Podcast I know are going to be there. The Brainstorm Brewery guys are going to be there. You yeah. know, Reverend and Fuego is going to be there. For We're BDH hoping we can get BDM or Marshall come out and play uh, EDH one night. Um, that, that kind of stuff is going to be happening. So, I mean, honestly, like I was for a while debating even playing in the main event. Cause I felt like there's so much other stuff going on. I felt like playing in the main event was going to take away from my hangout time Yeah, with everybody. So uh, I just want to open my sealed pack. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I just, just want to open, those I want to open those packs. And also like, I want to say that I played in the biggest yeah face to face, face to face gaming tournament in the history of the world. So I may just, you know, open my pack, play one match and drop, but who knows? But if I win that match, I'm probably just going to keep going. Yeah. But we're going to be there all of GP Vegas. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure we're going to be giving away some stuff too as well. Uh, and also, I'm I'm preparing my trade binders. I'm like making them to be EDH specific. Whoa. I've got all these pages of just legendary creatures. So if any of you guys are looking to even start an EDH collection or just you know trade up for some stuff, uh, I will have all that on hand as well. So maybe we'll have like a trade-off, like a swap made of sorts. Nice. My own Frankensons. I, like I like it. Yeah. All right, so GP Vegas, try and go. It's going to be awesome, and we'd love to meet you all. Yep, and I can't wait to just talk shop. It's one of my favorite parts about playing Magic is just getting excited about cards and interactions and talking to people. Yeah, because people all the time, they do something, and you're like, holy crap, I've never even seen that card before. Yeah, exactly. I need to put that in five of my decks. Yeah. Hey, maybe if Wedge comes, we'll finally play the game where no one wins. I'm hoping Wedge comes uh, (laughs) because I definitely want to tie. Yeah. I definitely want to... <laughs> I want to, to tie so Yeah. Bad. I want to not lose or win. Oh, my gosh. Wedge plays an Angus McKenzie deck, if you haven't heard that episode, and the whole deck is built around stopping all damage to anyone happening, and he plays a car, a couple cards that, like, the whole game's a draw. Yeah. So. Pretty sweet. Definitely, that sounds fun. Definitely unique. All right. So today... Uh, so last episode, we talked about just lands, pretty much. Uh, today, we're talking about all the other cards that are a very important part of your mana base, which are ramp and fixing cards. So these are cards that don't necessarily necessarily say land on them, but they do something very similar or help you do that thing, which is fix your mana so you can cast your spells on time with the right colors. Right. So the big question, I think, and people mess this up a lot, is fixing versus ramp. Mm-hmm. You know, the question is, what's the difference? Fixing is... Well, let's start with ramp. Ramp is anything that gets you ahead of the amount of mana that you should have for your turn. So we know that the rules of magic say you can play one land per turn. Mm -hmm. So if on turn three you have access to four mana somehow, that means you've ramped. Yeah. So you took your skateboard over the ramp, and now you are flying through the sky (laughs) a little faster in in front of everyone else. (laughs) Yeah, it's magic parlance for just being ahead of on the amount of mana that you should have mm-hmm. if you based what you should have on just one land per turn. And so green if you play, is known for this the best. Yeah, usually. green is definitely, it's the strongest at doing this by far. Yeah. But there are a lot of um, of artifacts that do it and other colors have s- some ways to do it. So let's say you play a, t- a soul ring on turn one 
And now on turn two, you have four mana available. Well, you've ramped. Yep. In fact, you you've ramped, ramped hardcore. in almost the best way that you possibly can. Yeah. So that's ramp. Fixing, fixing is something that gives you access to colors that you may not have access to. And usually it gives you a choice. Mm-hmm. So, so a fetch land is a really basic fixer. Correct. Because last time. Yep. Because a fetch land doesn't actually get you ahead on lands per turn, but allows you to go find a specific color of mana that you not, that you might need. Mm-hmm. So if you play a forest on turn one and then a fetch land on turn two and go get a mountain, now you still have two lands. But you You're, fixed your mana. Yeah. The other guy has four because he played a soul ring, but you just have the colors that you know you want. So he might mm-hmm. have two white and a soul ring and really wish he had an island, but you got to say, get green and red. Because of your fetch land, so there have been a lot of times where that ha- that's happened. I see a oh, hand yeah. with soul ring, I'm like snap keep, and, yeah, then, and then you like, only have one color. You're like, oh great, I have all the mana and can play like two cards on my hand. Yeah, exactly. So fixing is very important. Um, we're just going to talk about a few cards in these categories because people get confused. They think that fixing is ramp, and sometimes they think that ramp is fixing. So yeah. there's a card like Armillary Sphere. Very nice. It's a two drop artifact. It says pay two and sacrifice Armillary Sphere. Search your library for up to two basic land cards, reveal them, and put them into your hand. Then shuffle your library. So the key part here that tells you what it is, it says, and put them into your hand. Mm -hmm. So it didn't put any lands directly into play. So yeah, you got two lands out of it, but they aren't going directly onto the battlefield, so you still have to abide by the one land per turn rule. Hence, this is fixing, not ramp. Yep. And this is also a perfectly acceptable, for instance, you play this on turn two, turn three, if you have nothing else to do, you can tap, you, let's say you don't have a land yes. on turn three, this gets you two more lands. So the great thing about this kind of fixing is that it's card advantage. Yep. You get two cards instead of, uh, for one, and then you get to make sure that you get to play two colors that you need in the next two turns. Correct. It's not that it's worse than ramp, it's just different. Yeah. There's also Journeyer's Kite, uh, which is a two drop, and for three mana, you can tap it and search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and shuffle your library. So Journeyer's Kite, you actually get to keep the actual artifact. It's repeatable, yeah. But this is not ramp. It's card draw, Mm -hmm. and the card you're drawing is just always a land. Yeah. But it's fixing because it has a tutor effect. You get to go find the basic land you want. Yep. And keep in mind, though, that these are basic lands, and if you have a lot of uh, non-basic lands and dual lands and stuff in your deck, you're going to run out of sources of those eventually so usually the less amount of colors you have in the deck the better these kinds of cards can potentially be um, just because if you're really trying to fix your mana and you don't have any basic lands then these will like for instance they'll just sort of empty out your library of those in a couple of turns if you're not careful it's what a lot of times you'll do uh what we call fail to find so yeah. you'll you'll crack one of these to go find a land and you'll go and you'll be like i don't have any basic lands left and then that card literally did nothing well sometimes if you know what's on the top of your library with you, like can a brainstorm, you can shuffle you can shuffle it away yeah, yeah which is true. nice too um yeah, in five-color decks, I wouldn't even run any of those last two cards, even though they are fixing, and five-color needs fixing. But um, The next one is called Thawing G- Glaciers. It's a land. Oh, this card's so good. It comes into play tapped. It says, pay one and tap Thawing Glaciers. Search your library for a basic land. Put that card onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. Return Thawing Glaciers to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next cleanup step. That's what the Oracle <laughs> says. I think that means end step. Um, yeah, so Thawing Glaciers comes into play tapped, and then on your next turn, you can play your land for a turn and then activate Thawing Glaciers and basically replace Thawing Glaciers with any basic land. Yep. So again, you're not ahead on your one land per turn, but you got to fix. Yeah. And then you can play Thawing Glaciers the next turn. It'll come into play tapped, and the following turn. So every other turn, 
it sort of fixes you. It's a slow engine, but it is very reliable, and it only costs one to tap it and find that yeah. card. And it's super good, uh, you know, once you are once you've got five or six lands on the table and you're not drawing a land mm-hmm. every turn, then this is drawing you a land every other turn. This is also great in decks that want to be playing lands because there's some effects from them. I think you have a mm-hmm. couple of combos mm-hmm. that because you're, you get to play this over and over again. And things like that. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be good once Battle of Zendikar comes out and we get more landfall, hopefully. Oh, man, I hope we get more landfall. It'll be a lot I, yeah, fun. good chance we do. Um, uh, Prismatic Omen, which is a green enchantment. Uh, and this is also, uh, it's interesting because it's one in the green and it's just lands you control are every basic land type in addition to their other types. Yep. So that's actually really powerful because this interacts with a lot of cards that care about how many basic land types you have. Um, any card that has Sunburst, I think. It defeats um, Blood Moon, my most hated card. Yes, it is an enchantment that that beats uh, <laughs> Blood Moon, which is great. But it is not ramp. I think people get the wrong idea about Prismatic Omen. It doesn't give you access to more total mana than you ha- would mm-hmm. normally have. It just fixes you. It just means that I don't have to worry about what color mana everything taps for. Yeah. So... Another th- another card that's like this is Urborg, Tomb of Yawgmoth. It's um, it's a legendary land, and it just says each land is a swamp in addition to its other types. This is famous for its interactions with some other cards, which we'll talk about later. But especially in like mono black ramp decks and stuff. Yeah, but you could also you can also play it in a deck that's like one third black, just so you never have to worry about black mana. Yeah, if you draw that, you're just set. Yeah. But this also gives black mana to everyone else, which can yeah. be a downside. Can so be a downside. Be but it does not ramp you it only fixes you mm-hmm. it turns all it gives your it eases the the burden on your black mana it allows you to play for forexing obliterator you know maybe easier but yeah. it doesn't give you again ahead of where you would be for your land per turn yeah um and then the last one i'll talk about is um underground sea or volcanic <laughs> island or tropical island any of the dual any lands. of the original dual lands which are the best lands ever printed they're not ramped they're fixing yeah so for the same reason they don't they don't give you extra mana so yeah Let's talk about ramp. We already talked about Soul Ring. And if you guys don't know, and you should know, Soul Ring is great because it's a one-drop artifact. You can tap it immediately to add two to your mana pool. So there are a lot of turns where you play Soul Ring turn one into Swiftfoot Boots, and you have four cards out on the table and everyone else, or three cards out on the table and everyone else is just scratching their heads going, well, I guess what we killed that happened? person first. What happened? What happened? <laughs> it's one of the most powerful cards ever printed. Um, there's a lot of arguments between it and Ancestral Recall. Uh, and Black Lotus, I would put it at number one for EDH. Uh, yeah. Ancestral Recall is not quite as good for us, although it's still great, and we can't play it. But yeah. um, Soul Ring is the most powerful single card in EDH for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it is ramp. Uh, Temple of the False God is a land. It just says tap it to add two to your mana fool. M- mana fool? Yeah, yo, mana fool. Yo, a mana fool. Yo, a mana fool. Tap it to add two to your mana pool, but you can activate this ability only if you control five or more lands. Yep, this is the card I say most people, they're looking at their opening hand, and they're like, I got a Temple of the False God and two lands in here. I'm good to go. Whoa there, buddy. slow down. (laughs) Slow down. You have that Temple of the False God. It doesn't even exist in that hand. Yeah, exactly. But it is ramp because it allows you to have, on turn five, if you played four lands and then you drop the temple and it's your fifth land boom now you have access to six mana so yeah. that is ramp that is very nice uh this i like this next one elvish mystic now a lot of people think that this is fixing but this is not because one it costs green to make a green mana. exactly and that's exactly the point yeah uh but this is again if you pretend like you play a forest turn one in a mystic turn two you're gonna be able to play another land and then have access to three mana when everyone else may be having access to two and right. there's a reason that you see this card in standard right now because they're trying to just bring out their bigger creatures a little bit faster to beat you with it. And that's why Elvish Mystics are so important. Even though they're terrible on, like, turn 9 or 10, they're just that good on turns 1 and 2 
that you want to have a few in your deck if you're playing like a standard deck. But and Elvish Mystic, for those that don't know, it's just one green mana right. for a one one, and you and it says tap it to add green to your mana pool. Mm-hmm. And the reason that this this feels like it could be fixing, right? But it's yeah. like j- this point is worth going over. It costs you green to cast it, and it gives you green. Yeah. So it's not fixing you because you already had green. So it's really ramp. Um, there's another card that's similar. It's called Braid of Fire. We talked about this in our Overperformers episode. Oh, right. It's one in red for an enchantment. It has cumulative upkeep of red, of add red to your mana pool. So it creates a red mana during upkeep on the first turn, and then the second it creates two, and then three, and then four, and by the seventh turn it's giving you seven mana right. during your upkeep. But again, it's not fixing. It's ramp because it's giving you more mana than you would have access to, but you already had red because you had to have red to cast it. Yeah, and it's specific ramp because it only happens during your upkeep, so it's for instance and uh, like activated abilities and stuff. Right, and and I know that it does fix you for if you need two green or you need two red, right. but you right. would not primarily play this card for that because if you have no green, it doesn't give you anything. Right. If you have no red, Braid of Fire can't even be played. So Let's talk about the big daddy himself, Animar, Soul Your favorite. of Elements, my favorite. Uh, he's a 1-1, one, one, but the most important part about his text is that he says, uh, whenever you cast a creature spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on Animar, Soul of Elements, and creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each plus one, plus one counter on Animar. And that's why this deck works, yes. because he is essentially the ultimate ramp machine, because you're casting a cheap creature for one or two mana, you get a plus one, plus one counter, all of a sudden your three drop costs two mana. So it is like reverse ramp in a way a lot of people sort of forget to to consider this as ramp but it is because he reduces the casting cost of something so he's effectively giving Mm -hmm. you extra mana animar could just as easily read whenever you cast a creature spell you know add this much colorless to your mana pool where you know it would be hard to word it so they worded it correctly don't get me wrong but it does (laughs) give you mana so it puts you ahead on what you would otherwise be able to cast yeah exactly um something very similar is the medallion cycle Mm -hmm. so like the pearl medallion is two mana for an artifact and it says white spells you cast cost one less to cast there's one for each color um and they've all been reprinted in the latest commander uh set as well so they're readily available yep they're really good in mono decks yeah. They're maybe okay in two-color decks. You would never play one in three-color or more um, unless you were just super heavy in one color and only splashing, splashing the other two. Yeah. But it's the same reason that Animar's Ramp, anything that, that reduces the casting cost of, of stuff that you're going to play is the same as giving you extra mana to play that stuff. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Exploration. This is sort of the granddaddy of, of Ramp when, in terms of green when you think about it. Uh, it's one green for an enchantment, and it says you may play an additional land on each of your turns. So if you play us on turn one, you get two lands out. And the next turn, you might get four lands out total. So you are ramping pretty quickly here. This is best combined with like card draw, obviously, so you can yep. keep putting lands in your hand. Um, and also, this card, I think, is a little overrated because it gets progressively worse as the game goes on and you don't have as many cards in your hand. Yeah, for sense. sure. But it is ramp. It does yeah. have the ability to get you ahead yeah. of what would otherwise be your land per turn limit. Um, yeah. another... And again, like the Mystic, a turn one exploration is so good. A turn 10 exploration is just okay. Or straight up bad. Straight up bad, yeah. Yeah. Um, here's one that's not necessarily straight up bad on turn 10 is the Oracle of Moldiah. This card's always good. <laughs> yeah, it's three and a green for a 2-2 Elf Shaman. It says you may play an additional land on each of your turns. So it has the exploration ability tapped onto it. Mm-hmm. But it says play with the top card of your library revealed. You may play the top card of your library if it's a land. So this is one of the better uh, ramping cards of all time. And it, it, what it does is it lets you draw and play the land when you don't have any, if yeah. it happens to be on top of your library. So, And if you have no lands in hand, you flip the top card, it's a land. 
play it. it. Flip, Flip the, next the top card. card if it's a land again. Yeah. Play it. So this is actually a little different than Corsair of Crufix, which doesn't allow you to, very importantly, play an additional land on each of your turns. So that's right. why she is a ramper. Yeah. Th- yes, the Corsair of Crufix is not a ramping card because it keeps you to the one land per turn limit. But It's still or- card advantage, but yes. it's not. And the Oracle of Modai is both of those things, which is why she is just so Bonkers. absurdly good. Yeah, But she's not necessarily fixing... Because you don't get to go find a specific color or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just whatever land happens to be on top. Yeah. So you have a better chance of getting to those lands because of right. her. But she doesn't, like, if you need red, she doesn't necessarily help you find red. I mean, she helps yeah. you dig a little, but not, yeah, I wouldn't call her fixing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one is the one that we talked about in con- uh, conjunction with Urborg. Yeah, Cabal Coffers. Uh, you can tap two and tap it to add black to your mana pool for each swamp you control. So mono black decks love this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just gets worse after that. But if you have a deck that's two color and runs Urborg, then this is still a good land in that deck. Um, and this is ramp because just it's kind of like the Devotion decks where you could tap this for two and add like six mana to your mana pool. Yes. Um, of course, this if you only have two swamps, then this doesn't do <laughs> doesn't right. do that much. But it doesn't create a different color or anything like that. It just ramps you. It just gives you more mana than you would have had. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. even always do that. But when it does it, it gives you a ton. So it's it's usually worth playing. Yeah, and looking back at this list, we have pretty much every color represented in some way, and it, creatures, spells, it, enchantment mm-hmm. spells, artifact spells. Every there are basically ways to ramp across the board in every card format or card type in Magic, which was important when making the list because if you'll recall in the in the last episode we are actually indirectly responding to an email and from uh, a guy named robert who runs a big play group and he was saying that a lot of the people in his play group and by big i mean 50 people a lot of the new players are feeling like they need to play green just for the ramp and the fixing and you don't have to play green it Mm -hmm. is very good at it it is the best at it but there are ways in other colors so as demonstrated by this list um there's one more category of ramp that i sort of a subcategory and i call it single use ramp right you don't see this too much in in edh EDH, yeah yeah. but every once in a while so dark ritual is sort of well uh actually the biggest uh example of this is the most famous card in the history of magic it's black lotus and the most expensive um black lotus is just a zero cast artifact you tap it and sacrifice it to add three mana of any one color to your mana pool. So it's a one-time use. It's considered... It's up there with Soul Ring as the most powerful card of all time just because of it's three free mana on turn one Yep, that can literally, in other formats, that can literally kill people on turn zero because they yeah. might not even be able to draw a card or play a land before you kill them if you, if you have Black Lotus. So... Yep. Um, it's very powerful. In our format, I feel like it would be f- okay. <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be totally <laughs> broken. Because if you're playing with four people and you do one thing, you probably can't do the 40 damage to kill them. Maybe you can. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, it's just going to be like a one-time infusion of mana that's just kind of going to be a waste of a card. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and, I mean, that's the thing about single-use ramp is that you want cards that give you flexibility in EDH and you can be used more than once potentially. And stuff like the Black Lotus, as awesome as it is, wasn't actually built for this format. Um, right. Sure, you might have like a busted turn, but when everyone else looks at you and it passes to the next guy who hasn't been killed, well, guess who everyone's targeting? Yep. Know, it's coming the dude you. with the Black Lotus, because I don't yeah, know what exactly. else is it's in like, there. How did you even get that? By the way, it's banned in our yeah, format. Yeah. But, <laughs> it's just, yeah. but a card like Dark Ritual isn't, and this is maybe one of the most famous black cards ever printed. It's one black, and it says instant add... Uh, black, black, black to your mana pool. So for one mana, you get three. Yep. So that just is a one-time infusion of two extra mana, mm-hmm. but they have to be black. Yeah. Oh, little side story. Um, back in my day, 
We used to do this thing where, because there's a card called Mind Twist, it's pay black and X, and then target player discards X cards. Ugh, Mind Twist, busted, Yeah, not good. Well, what you could do is something broken, like, let's say your hand has two Dark Rituals and Mind Twist in the first turn. You can make them discard four cards right there. Ugh. Yeah, it's brutal. The best was actually to play Dark Ritual and then turn one Hypnotic Specter, which is oh, a two-two yeah. flyer. And when it hits them, they discard a card. Uh, there's just broken stuff you could do. With yeah, Dark Mind Ritual. Twist is just a an evil card. Um, the last card that we have against sort of the single use ramp is a uh, Turnabout, which is two and two blue, and you can tap or untap all artifacts, creatures, or lands target player controls. So you so. tap all your lands, add that man to your mana pool, then. With turn some it of it, you turn about it, untap your lands, and tap them again. Now, turnabout's great because you can actually use it. Verse it has versatility to be used in other yeah um, areas. So all your creatures or artifacts. It's also an instant, so you can. It's a combat trick at the same time. And then let's just say you don't. You have like a bunch of mana rocks and not many lands. You should right. untap your mana rocks instead. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> okay, so that kind of covers us in fixing and ramp. And I guess like the question here is like, is one better than the other? Which mm-hmm. one's better? Why? I think that in general ramp is better for most decks like almost every deck in edh will want ramp yeah in fact i would hazard to say that every, every EDH single deck, edh yeah. deck wants ramp because we're all playing busted cards the faster you can play yours the better yeah and and you can just be so far behind if you've only got four mana available and somebody else has eight mm-hmm. like percentage wise that person with eight is just going to win way more games they just can do more powerful stuff even if they're not playing stuff that costs eight they can do two things that cost four and you can only do one they're in such a good position too yeah so ramp is just necessary in almost every deck and fixing is not fixing is something that some decks need and some don't if you're in a two color deck you barely need any fixing a little bit maybe and the good thing is there's a lot of things that do both Mm -hmm. you know ramp is something that's tacked on to a lot of things that also fix. So let's talk about some cards that ramp and fix. Definitely. Uh, I'll let you read the first one because it's your most number one artifact. Yeah, it's Chromantic Lantern. It was my number one artifact uh, in EDH. It's a three drop, and it says, Lands you control have tap, add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So that is fixing. Every land becomes whatever you need it to be. And the lantern itself also can tap to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So that is ramp because yep. you play this on turn three. And the next turn, you have a chromatic lantern that will be able to add a uh, mana. Well, actually, you can add it as soon as you play it. So you get to get one extra mana from this card itself. That also fixes. But if you play it on turn three and then on <clears> turn four you play a land, that means your turn four you have five mana available. So you've ramped. And, yep. you've, yeah, and like you said, you've also fixed because... The Chromatic Lantern taps for any color itself, and it makes all your lands tap for any color. So yeah. it's a very good card because it does both. Um, Another sort of more simple example of this, we call these mana rocks. Yeah. Any artifact that taps for mana of any kind is sort of referred to as a mana rock. And this is where you can go outside of green to get your ramp and your fixing. And so like the signets, the guild signets, like a, like let's go with a Demir signet. It's just a two-drop artifact um, it says pay one and tap it and add blue and black to your mana pool. There so you go. for one mana of any color, you get specifically two mana and they have to be blue and black. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing as far as ramp. And it's a little bit of fixing because you can turn, you know, if you need, if you have two blue out, but you need a black, you can turn one of those blue into a, into a blue and a black. So mm-hmm. Uh, the signals are cheap. The clue stones and the key stones and the yeah. banners and all this stuff that they've come out with, that stuff is all mana rocks and it's all ramp and fixing. Yep. 
And they, uh, the banners are nice, too, because they also give the option to, for instance, draw a card. Draw a card, yeah. Um, and the same with actually, do that, too, right? Yeah, I think so. And then there's also uh, the monuments that came out in um, in, in Dragons, Dragons of Shark here. They turn those, into dragons. They turn into dragons, yeah. yeah. So those are actually great, too. So there are lots of options in terms of mana rocks. Uh, just choose the ones that fit your deck the best, and they all have a little extra utility, which is nice, which is something that increases their value immensely in EDH because just having a card that does one thing is okay. Having it being able to do a couple of things, even better. For sure. Um, you want me to read the next one? Yeah, Cultivate. Mm-hmm. Cultivate, one of uh, uh, sort of a classic card. You'll see this in a lot of green decks. It's two and a green for a green sorcery. Uh, search your library for up to two basic land cards. Reveal those cards and put one onto the battlefield tapped and the other into your hand. Then shuffle your library. So this is ramp and fixing because mm-hmm. it lets you choose which lands you go get. And then you get to put one of them out onto the battlefield. Yep. Anytime a card says that, it's it's ramp because you know you could play your land first and then do this or... It doesn't count as your one per turn. So yeah, uh, this is also you just get two cards for one, so it's card advantage. Yep. So so yeah, very good card. Uh, the next one, one of my favorite types of card that nobody plays, but I hope some of you will try I, yeah, out. Yeah, it's true. I don't know why many people don't play these. I think it's because they they would rather just play something else. <laughs> it's really what it is. It's because they're like, I just want to have another enchantment or another cool. Yeah, thing. or a mana rock instead of something like this. Yeah. I found these to be as good, um, oftentimes better than mana rocks. Um, I'll explain yep. why in a second. I agree. So this is called Market Festival. There's a lot of cards like this there's verdant haven and uh, i'm not gonna name them all anyway so it's three and a green for an enchantment it enchants a land and it says whenever enchanted land is tapped for mana its controller adds two mana in any combination of colors to his or her her mana pool so your land now taps for three total mana Mm -hmm. if you put it on a plains you get white and then you get to pick two colors and add two and those colors to your mana pool yeah so this is again it's ramp and it's fixing because if you play this on turn four then on turn five, if you play another land, you'll have seven mana available to you. So that's ramp, and it is fixing because it, it you get to choose whatever colors you want. Yeah, and the reason I think that this is better than a lot of mana rocks is there are so many cards that are like Shatterstorm, kill every artifact. Artifact hate is way more rampant. Yeah. Also, a lot more cards that steal artifacts. There's not very many that steal enchantments. Mm-hmm. Uh, land destruction is not something that's really prevalent in our format. Like people might play a strip mine, maybe like a vindicate. They're very rarely even going to point it at the land with Mark Festival on it because it's just hard to. It doesn't look threatening, and most people don't think that card's good. Yeah. So you just don't use those cards on cards you don't think are good. And then also there are a lot of cards that interact with your lands and untap your lands. And so if you've got a voyaging Seder, which we'll talk yeah, about in a true. second, out that voyaging Seder now taps for three mana. So you can really build your deck to take advantage of this type of effect. I've preached about this many times, uh, you know. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and you're one of the few people that play in our meta, and every single time it happens, no one really even bats an eye. But then the next turn, you're pumping out giant stuff. Yeah, it's like, just... oh, I've got 14 mana available now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I really like this next one, too. Another card I just don't see enough. Yeah, Cross and Verge. Uh, it's probably the best land, I think, for these colors specifically. It comes in the battlefield tapped, and you can tap it for one colorless. But for two colorless, you can tap it. Sacrifice Cross and Verge, search your library for a forest card and a plains card, then put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. So this turns into two lands, but it also fixes you for a forest and plains. Yeah, it does not say basic forest and basic plains. Right, so it could so fix you, you for go, four colors. You can possibly. go find two dual lands, two shock lands, put those into play. Yeah. It not only ramps you because it puts two lands out, it also fixes you because you can go find, you know, if you're, I, I play a lot of five color, which is maybe why I love this because this yeah. will literally find me any colors I want. 
Yeah, it's a very uh, good very land for card. that. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about some mana from creatures, and this is the one that we haven't touched upon yet. There are a lot of creatures out there that either help get you mana or tap for mana, and Elvish Mystic kind of fits into that category. Um, Correct, but these both fix and ramp you. Yes. The ones we're going to talk about. Now, one thing I will say is creatures are a little bit dicey, can be, depending on your meta. Well, usually, so many things kill these small guys. Yep. Usually decks have a lot of ways to deal with creatures mm-hmm. and not as many ways to deal with, you know, things like enchantments and artifacts. Yeah. So your mana is a little bit less safe if it's all based on creatures, but creatures can also do things like block other creatures, which a yeah. land can't do. So if somebody's going to Rafik you and you just need anything to block, then sometimes you're going to throw your mana dork. It's what we call anybody that taps for mana in front of it. So one of the best and earliest mana dorks of all is called the Birds of Paradise. Yep, it's the classic one. It's been printed who knows how many times now. I think it's been printed like one, two, three, four, five. It's a bajillion. Like 15 times. It, it was an alpha and beta, so. Just yeah, so it's, it's one green for a zero one flying creature, but you can tap it to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Yep. So it's very, very powerful. Funny story about this one. This, the original picture for Birds of Paradise was actually drawn, it was supposed to be the um, art for Volcanic, Volcanic Island. Island. Yes. So the guy, the artist drew the photo, and it was supposed to be for Vol- Volcanic huh. Island, which is a land that taps for red and blue. Uh-huh. They looked at the photo, and they go, well, the bird's too prominent. <laughs> it doesn't feature the island. Yeah, there is a little Volcanic Island in the background, though. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's like so they said, up. okay, and in these days of magic, they couldn't just be throwing money at artists. The game didn't even really exist yet. Yeah. And so they're like, we have this art, but we need somebody else to... to make new art for a volcanic island, but what do we do with this art of this bird? That's amazing. And they said, okay, well, let's make a card with this bird on it. And so they literally made the card Birds of Paradise because of the art. That's really funny. Yeah, and one of the great, you know, famous, one of the more powerful um, cards of all time. Uh, look at that. So you want to read the next guy? Yeah. This was, this was my number one on my artifact uh, yeah, list. This is, I think this is probably one of the best this is one of those cards that you could put into any, literally yeah. any deck. Uh, it's Solemn Sima, Simulacrum, 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 Simulacrum. I have no idea. I'm just going to let you keep saying it. Simulacrum. <laughs> Similar. Uh, this guy's been printed a bunch too. It's printed uh, four times now. It's been printed in two of the commander sets as well. And um, still fairly, not super, super cheap. I mean, yeah. It's not super expensive. Well, but. I mean, it shows you how good it is, that the fact that the price is right there. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a four-drop artifact for a 2-2 artifact creature golem. When Solemn Simulacrum... Similar Actos uh, enters the battlefield. You may search your library for a basic land card, put that card onto the battlefield tap, then shuffle your library. So that by itself is still like, okay, cool. That's uh, rampant maybe, fixing. Yeah, maybe a little expensive, but the second part's the best. When when Solemn Similacrum dies, you may draw a card. So that's wonderful. So this also gets you an extra card. He essentially replaces himself. He It's a two-for-one. You get a land card from him, and when he dies, you get another card. He's the artifact Muldrifter. Yeah, he's fantastic. Um, it, you can essentially read him as, if you have a way to get rid of him immediately, he's four mana for uh, two, draw two cards. One of them is going to be a basic land card of your choice. And you put it directly into play. Yeah, that's fantastic. So it's ramp, it's fixing, and it's card draw. Similemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemalemal
I mean, you really don't want him to draw that one card, I guess. Yeah, I've never played uh, this guy and not had him draw me a card, essentially. Yeah. Um, it, Every it, once in a while, somebody will Merciless Eviction or some sort of Exile right. or Terminus or something, and you won't. But yeah. even then, you still got your land into play tapped, so you did get value. You got and one a great chump blocker, too. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah. Um, this next card, it does not see enough play, and it is very good. It's Burnished Heart. Mm-hmm. It's three mana for a 2-2 Elk. It's it's uh, it's the robotic Elmer. <laughs> It's And then it says, pay three mana, sacrifice burnish heart, search your library for up to two basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. So it puts two land cards onto the battlefield tapped. That's pretty good. Um, this is an extremely strong card. In green, maybe you wouldn't play it. In every other color, I feel like could honestly play this card just for the ramp. And also, it's a free block on something a lot of times. Block, mm-hmm. and then sack. You know, unless they have trample, they're not hitting you. It's it's very strong. Um I should mention that if you're looking this up on Gatherer, the way you spelled heart is H-A-R-T. I've yeah. many times been like, you know, I'm searching on TCG Player to buy a few of them, and I'm like, what the heck? They don't have any? <laughs> what is this? Yeah, what is this? Uh, it's Yeah, it's heart like Bret Hart, the wrestler. Yeah. H-A-R-T. Or Hannah Hart, the YouTube celebrity. Uh, the next card is probably one of Josh's favorite pet cards. It's Voyaging Seder. Uh, it was in Theros Block. It is one in the green for a one-two creature, and you basically tap this creature, and you untap target land. Yep. And when you have a card that has, like, a market festival on it, or one of the lands that produces two mana. The bounce lands or the, the, the temple lands. of the, yeah, fa- the false god. Yeah, this guy, it, the value goes up immensely. Um, also, there have been so many times when I'm playing a game, and I'm like, shoot, I wish I had one more black mana. Mm-hmm. And Voyaging Center essentially says get one or get one land back of any of your cho- any of your lands that you want. You can also use this to untap cards like the um, the the glacial guy. What was that one? The Thawing Thawing Glacier. Yep, yeah, to use so. it on the turn that it comes into play. Yeah, very good use of it. Uh, normally, you would say this is only ramp, but because it fixes you, but for those cards that require maybe two of a certain color to mm-hmm. cast. Um, yeah, because you do have to have a land on the table that produces the color that you need. But the Voyaging Seder can give you two of that color, you know. It's, yeah. So it is very good. It's very good fixing, especially when you can play it turn two. Let's pause here really quick, and let's talk about why ramp is better in EDH than in other formats. Right. Um, you would think that, you know, a lot of formats would want ramp because they want to play the most powerful cards to win the fastest. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is that in other formats, they're fast. Mm-hmm. You know, in modern, for instance, like there's a lot of turn four kills, you know. That's the the format is is built to be a turn four or five kill format. Now standard's a little bit slower, but still very fast compared to our format. It's built to be a five or six turn kill yeah. format. So and then legacy is a turn three or maybe turn two kill format. Like that's extremely yeah. fast. In those formats, you don't have time to throw you know, out the ramp on card. turn two or three throw out a card <laughs> that just makes mana because you're gonna literally maybe die the next turn. So yeah. you need to either hold up your your counter spell, your removal spell, or put something out on the table that they have to deal with. Or they're going to die. So, but our format, because it's so slow, uh, because of the forty life, because of the multiplayer aspect, because of the inconsistency of a huge deck and singleton, mm-hmm. ramp is more important. Because what we're going to do is we're going to do big broken things. So, if you're the first one with enough mana to do the big broken thing, then you have a much better chance of winning the game because you know nobody else has had time to respond to it yet. Yeah, and if you can get there faster than everyone else, great because we're dealing with 40 point life totals and not just that you're dealing with like 120 points of life across three players. So, right. you know, being able to have a turn three kill is not really possible in this format. So you'd rather ramp I mean, out. It's going to ha- It can happen sometimes if you build it, your deck that way, but mm-hmm. it, it's, it's difficult. And then also 
our format doesn't really like people doing that. Yeah. So if you even built a deck that could kill people turn two, three, you know, which can happen, um, you know, you're just going to find that people don't want to play against you. So. Yeah. You also, if you want, think about it, you want to have enough mana to essentially be enough mana for three games of EDH if you're playing a four-player game because you want to be able to effectively, safely know that you can respond to maybe two people that are trying to play threats on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a lot different. You do just need a lot more mana because you're playing with more people. Now, how many ramp cards would you say, ramp, yeah, ramp and fixing cards would you say you have in your average deck? I probably don't have enough, and I think it directly affects my win rate <laughs> by by far. How many do you think? About? I probably have five to six. Yeah, um, I, I try and always have ten. Yeah, sometimes I'll go to nine. Sometimes I'll go as high as twelve or thirteen. I usually lay out my ramp cards first, and my and then my uh, card draw cards, and I want ten of each. Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah, and just, just every once in a while I'll go to nine, but I won't go below nine on either of those. Yeah, but you do something that's great, which is you're not just putting ramp cards for ramp sake. You're trying to find flexibility, which is very important in EDH. Yeah, most people go, well, how the heck do you fit ten or twelve ramp cards into your deck? Because then you don't have any cards that are doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's exactly the point. The point is that you need to find the cards that do stuff and can ramp you yeah they're not just there only for ramp they just have the ability to ramp you so my favorite card we've talked about it many times is fate stitcher and it fits into this category so well and that's why i love it because fate stitcher covers you in so many categories Uh, fate stitcher is three and a blue for a zombie wizard all the rest of his text doesn't matter the only thing that matters is you can tap him to tap or untap target permanent so fate stitcher does it, it does what Voyaging Seder does, right? Mm-hmm. It untaps one of your lands, which is great. That's ramp. We need that. But that card also taps one of their guys that's about to attack me. Yeah. It untaps one of my creatures so I can block. It un- it untaps my Maze of Ith, or it untaps my Gilded Lotus to give me three mana instead of only one. Yeah. Or it untaps the land with Market Festival on it. Or it untaps you know, somebody another creature I have with a tap effect that I can use twice now. So that's a really versatile card. I think people underrate versatility. It's one of the big things about card evaluation yeah. that I think people have a hole in their game. And Not to mention Fate Stitcher can also be unearthed, so you get one more use of it when he dies, and it doesn't cost him to tap or untap another target permanent. He yeah, can just he do just it tap at instant so, speed. Yeah, yeah it's great. a very strong card. That's Those are the type of cards I look for because, yeah, that counts as one of my 10 to 12 mana ramp cards, mm-hmm. but it also does other things that the deck needs to do. Like, it's a removal spell. I mean, it taps a guy. Yeah. It is very effective to be able to just tap something, especially like uh, always look for the words uh, permanent and whether it has non-land permanent in front of it. Mm-hmm. Because if it, it like Fate Stitcher just untaps a permanent or taps a permanent, like that is incredibly powerful. Sometimes fact, during their upkeep, you can tap their land. Oh, yeah. And just, you know, you don't have anything else to do. I'll tap your land during your upkeep. And, and, and sometimes you just like, yeah, so you didn't do anything last turn. And now I know you won't be able to because if you had something that cost four, you would have done it. Yeah, exactly. Um, another good card for this is in uh, it's Garrick Wildspeaker. Oh yeah, it's two and two green, and he's a planeswalker. He comes in with three loyalty, but his big one is his plus one is untapped two target lands, not non basics, just lands. And in the right decks, this obviously can go out of control. But then the thing about him is he's versatile because what's his what's his uh, minus ability? He can put a three three green beast creature token onto the battlefield. Right. So you get both a. Uh, Four mana for a three-three at the very worst, or four mana for uh, potentially anywhere from two to you know six mana, depending on what lands you're untapping. So again, Garrick can be a creature, mm-hmm. or and a creature producer. He can be a, a repeatable token maker, or he can be a 
you know, mana ramp card that on turn five, now all of a sudden you have seven mana available to you or possibly more depending on, you know, yeah. if you have fall, Temple of False God and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's another like super strong card. I don't see another card. I just don't see enough. I think a lot of a decks would be, would want to run that. Um, Teferi Temporal Archmage yes. is the same thing basically he's six mana i'm just gonna concentrate on a zero ability which is untapped this four. is minus one ability yeah oh sorry did i say zero yeah um, <laughs> my god could would be you broken. imagine that'd yeah. be broken but his minus ability is untapped four target permanence permanence so oh my gosh yep so that can be lands mm-hmm. but it can also be a couple of lands and a creature it can be yeah if you're like the beat down path you swing with all your guys and then you play this guy and untap four of them like it's, that's huge it's crazy yeah yeah so he protects himself in a different kind of way right but if you need ramp He's just pure ramp. You just yeah. untap four lands. You know, tap. You have six lands or whatever because you played them, mm-hmm. and then you untap four of them, and now you have ten mana. Yeah, you know, available to you. Or if something's a gilded lotus, that's the thing people forget about. Untapping something isn't just one land. Sometimes or one mana. Sometimes it's three. Sometimes it's five. Mm-hmm. It depends on what you're untapping. Yeah, and the big thing about the planeswalkers is that unfortunately they are only sorcery speed. Uh, something like fate stitcher, you can do it instant speed, so mm-hmm. you have a little more flexibility there. But untapping four permanence is huge. It's it's crazy. That if you think is... about it with Teferi, let's just say you tap untap four regular lands. So for uh, six mana, you essentially have him cost two. Yep. Because you untap four lands. As and long you, as you have, you something, have something to do, to do with, with those that four lands. lands. Yeah. But yes, very true. Yeah. Uh, another card that's versatile people don't think of as mana ramp is Sword of Feast and Famine. Yeah, it's my favorite sword. Yeah, and I, it might be the strongest sword in EDH um, because mana ramp is so important. It's three mana, just like all the other swords. It costs two to equip. It gives um, the creature plus two, plus two, and protection from black and green. Mm-hmm. The big thing is whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player discards a card, and you untap all lands you control. Oof. It's got so, so much on this card. Yep. If you can hit somebody, if you have a flyer or an unblockable guy or somebody just doesn't have any creatures and you know it, you can tap all your mana, play something, hit somebody, untap all your lands, and, and play something else. Especially if it's pro black and green. There's probably going to be someone you can swing at yep. safely. Cause, yeah, because they won't be able to block. So it's just people wouldn't think of this as a mana ramp card, mm-hmm. but it is. It can be. Yeah. If you, you know, look at the end of your turn, now you've been able to tap for you know 15 total or 16 total mana instead right. of you know, 8 or whatever. But it also buffs your creature, gives them protection, and it makes people discard cards. Mm-hmm. So it's not pure ramp. It's doing other things. It's one of those versatility cards. We should probably mention the uh, Prophet of Krufix some, somewhere in here, right? Uh, yeah. She's we- a weird case. I would call her a ramp, though. She allows you to do, you know, play more than you would be able yeah. to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and plus we need to talk about the Prophet Crucifix every single episode. Yeah. So, so thank you. We met Prophet. our quota. You met, yeah. You've you've come on in. You've swung your six arms around, and you've made it in. Thank you. So just to to sort of step away from the manner based discussion for just a second, and just versatility. Like versatility is one of these things we've preached about on the show for a long time. Yeah. You know, having your cards be able to do different things in different circumstances is just one of the things that will make your decks so much better in the long run. If you mm-hmm. have 10, 12, 15 cards in your deck that don't just produce mana, but they can produce mana, but in other situations you can do this, mm-hmm. your deck will be, I promise, a lot better. The other night we were playing um, with some friends, and I have a Marchesa deck, Marquesa, sorry, Marquesa deck. Marquesa. Marquesa. Um, that's actually, in my way, a Child of Alara deck where Marque- Marquesa is inside of the, the 99. And the goal is to get Marquesa out and then put some 1-1 counters using Graft onto the Child of Alara and her 
I'll break down this deck soon because it's a retune of an earlier episode. Yeah. Anyway, but I have these cards in there, and one of them, he comes in with uh, plus one, plus one counters, and you can remove a counter and just fog. Oh, gosh. So for good. the turn. So he comes in with three counters, and that's three free fogs on a stick. So the po- point of that guy is to really, what I want him in the deck for is when Marquesa comes out, I want to move a counter from him, a plus one, plus one counter to her, so she's protected. Mm-hmm. Because... It, if we don't know Marquesa, anything that dies when you have Marquesa comes back during your end step if it had a plus one, plus one counter on it. So yeah. the goal in that deck is to get plus one, plus one counters on all your guys so your guys can't die. Yeah. And that's why you're also playing five color because green has so many plus one, plus one counters. Exactly. But so I'm putting these cards in, but that card, you know, I could easily have put in a card that just has plus one, plus one counters or just can move the plus one, plus yeah, one counters around. But this guy can move plus one, plus one counters around but he can also fog. And I played him, and I didn't have Marquesa yet. And Jimmy, what did you have? You had, like, Marari's Wake, and you had um, Eldrazi Monument, and you had, like, a bunch of flyers. Yeah. And you had, like, 12, um, I don't know. I had Elspeth out pumping out tokens. You had Avenger of Zendikar. Uh, you made, like, 14 dudes. They yeah. were all three fours. And so Jimmy can literally kill anybody at the table, but he can't kill me because I have the fog effect on a stick. And so... That's a versatile card that literally won me that game. Uh, so sad. Yeah, it just... I just needed one path. <laughs> yeah. That that won me the game because I'm not putting it in the deck for the fog effect. Yeah. The fog effect is just nice to have on an ability that I... It also has the ability that I really want. So that philosophy, as applied to mana ramp, like we're talking about it, but apply it to everything. Yeah. Apply it to anything in your deck that can do two things or three things, you know? You Those have them- should be the cards that stand out to you, too. Because, yes. I mean, then this is why Jason Nolt said that EDH players make the right specs because these cards are naturally more powerful. Like, you were, you had your eye on Fate Stitcher before it made a huge burst onto the scene at the Pro Tour and then shot right. the price. Because the card itself is just bonkers if you look at it. It's, like, such a powerful effect because it does so many things at once. Yep. Yeah, you just need to think, like, in all the situations where this card's usable, and it's like, wow, that card might not be flashy. It yeah. doesn't, like, Fate Stitcher doesn't, like, kill anyone doesn't do any damage but what it allows you to do is respond in so many different situations yeah that, that those type of cards are very valuable so yeah not to mention if you're playing edh with just new people in general you're gonna be playing with every card pretty much from the history of magic you're gonna want to be in a position where if you're looking at your hand and it's just a very singular vision and can only do one thing you're not gonna actually be able to win that many games against different decks that are that can go bad or just have more flexibility so they're like oh cool I can do this with my uh, my hand now because I have these cards that untap these things, and this will give me that edge to win this game. Okay, let's talk about common mistakes that people make when uh, building this portion of their mana base. Yeah. Um, you, you touched on it earlier. Playing Exploration when you don't need it? Yeah, uh, Exploration. I think Azusa is another creature that does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Burgeoning, Burgeoning is a card that it's an enchantment that lets you play a land anytime anybody else plays a land. These cards sound really good. They're sort of play an extra land per turn type effects. But this stuff is, and this stuff is ramp because it allows you to get an extra land out onto the battlefield like turns earlier. Mm-hmm. Thing is, people don't think about like once I've played my last land and I don't have any in my hand, even if I draw one, I could already play it. Exploration's not doing anything. Yeah. So these type of effects are really only good in decks that have a lot of card draw support. Correct. So unless your deck has a lot of card draw, don't play Exploration, Azusa, Burgeoning. Don't play that type of ramp. It's better, like, 
Market Festival will be way better in a lot of the decks I see there playing Exploration. Yeah, because you don't want to be stuck in that position where you, again, have just zero cards because you've emptied out your hand. and Or you've got all spells but no land. Or you draw the Exploration at turn 10. You oh, know, yeah, If you put it worst. in your deck just because you want to have it turn 1, that shouldn't be a reason to put it in your deck just because you have it with turn 1. Because uh, you have 99 cards. You have to have a little bit of support there. Yeah, you're going to more often have it on turn 10 than you are on turn 1. So yes. it's a lot better to, yeah, to build the deck in a way that either needs it because there's a lot of card draw or just mm-hmm. has a different kind of ramp card. Yeah, you know, Orko Moldaya is better in almost every deck. You know, there's definitely decks like a Nekusar deck that's going to draw a ton of cards is great. Exploration's great, but it's not great. <laughs> Your five color exploration deck. Yeah. That exploration is one of the best cards I can have, yeah. you know, but the whole deck is trying to just draw cards. So you're always, you always have two lands in hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the second big mistake is just playing I see this a lot. Playing expensive, and by that I mean high uh, converted mana cost, not price tag, Mm -hmm. but expensive ramp cards. Expensive ramp cards are the worst to me. You know, the entire point of ramp is to get you to turn, you know, six, seven, eight ahead of time. But if if the ramp card itself costs you six or more, or even five, then is it really worth playing it at that point? It's not. What's it ramping you to? You're already at five mana. Uh, clearly my Eldrazi. Yeah, that's in only very specific situations. Do you want ramp cards that are expensive? Mm-hmm. I want my ramp cards to be two, three, and some fours. The only five I will usually play is Gilded Lotus. Yeah, just because it's so strong to be able to create three of any one color. Well, usually because you can have another play after playing that card, you can usually put something else out. Yeah, and again, I usually play with stuff like Fate Stitcher and things that allow me to untap and use. And so, it, having one thing that taps for three color, three mana means that my Fate Stitcher now produces three three mana instead of one. Yeah. So there are reasons, but even then, I wouldn't have a bunch of cards at the cost. You know, even four is a little bit tough. But, I think four is the top solid. Yeah. Is Solemn Simulacrum is pretty And again, Solemn's a creature, right? So it comes out, puts the land into play, and it draws you a card. It's not yeah. just ramp. Yeah, and you, you know? have a blocker now. Yeah, Market Festival is four. That's probably the highest I would get. Thrawn Dynamo is four. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want a lot of that, though. I want most of my ramp to be at two and three because that's the time in the game where I don't really have powerful other things I could do. Like, I don't want to drop a two-mana two-two <laughs> or two-mana three-three. That's not going to do a lot for me. It's going to be way better to get ahead on mana. Yeah, agreed. So Agreed. Um, uh, oh yes, thinking green has the only fixing, and and this is what we've talked about, and also sort of goes back to the question that we got sent in uh, for uh, the last episode. Green is the king of mana; it's in the color pie, right? Yep. It's explosive vegetation. There's growth. It's man- it's filled with life. It's the forest. It makes sense that green is known for ramping, but everything else can ramp in different ways. Like Fate Stitcher is ramp. Again, we talked about mm-hmm. all these cards that ramp, and of course, it's you know artifacts are so important. Yes. In EDH because they go in any deck and every deck needs some kind of way of ramping stuff out. So again, like that website um, that we mentioned last week, which uh, will find will help you find your mana base, will also find you all these different lands that ramp you in nice ways that you don't just need to have green to to get you know big creatures out. There are lots of other ways to do it in every other color, and you have lands that do it. You got Burnished Heart, you've got Solemn Simulacrum. The Signets are great. Um, and also just sort of the big four, like Soul Ring, Thran Dynamo, Guild of Lotus, and... Warren Power Stone, Warren Coalition Power Stone. Relic. Yeah. Um, there's a lot. And, and when, I, Monolith. when I go through and I'm building, like, my 10 cards that I want for ramp cards in mm-hmm. every deck, you know, sometimes I'm building a Mardu deck and it's white, black, and red. And, you know, those are not great ramp colors. And, uh, you know, six of my, car- my ramp cards out of the 10 might be artifacts. That's okay. 
Yeah, it's totally fine. Yep. And not to mention, like, if you think about it this way, colorless mana is still ramp. It may not fix necessarily, but a lot of the times, like, you only need one blue or one or white two. or one or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. then everything else is like, hey, look, check it out. You can have a bunch of colorless mana, and you're going to be doing great if you just have a bunch of colorless mana. Um, and then the last common mistake I see is people don't take their non-land cards into account when they're figuring out their mana base. So if you have a Gilded Lotus or a Signet in your deck, you can count that as a source for mm-hmm. you know your different colors. So it's you, not a full land, but it is definitely not a non-land. Yeah, it counts. Like, let's say you have a Signet and it produces red and blue. Well, that counts as a red source and a blue source. So mm-hmm. you can say, oh, I've got one additional source in there. So that ups the percentage chance that I have to get red or blue because I have this Signet. Or Gilded Lotus, that taps for any of the colors I want. So that's a card that will produce mana yeah. of the color I need. So you can sort of take that into your calculations with your land, saying like, oh, I have 37 lands, but I also have these other 10 cards. And of those 10, you know, five of them produce mana of these colors and so i can use those as sources for these colors Mm -hmm. as long as i put enough land in my deck to get to the amount to cast those cards which is usually going to be three or four yeah and just be careful that you don't start taking out lands because you're like oh cool i have a soul ring and this and this so i can totally take out two lands now it's like uh because look if you draw two lands and a gilded lotus you're not gonna be able to play that gilded lotus you still have to get up to that five mana somehow yeah be very careful about the amount of total lands you have in your deck yeah you don't want that to change very often because of your non-land cards that are mana and ramp yeah i would say like if you have all these rocks like maybe you can take out one land maybe maybe two lands depending on how heavy you are in ramp and just mana production and stuff because you really don't want to get caught in that very unfavorable position of not being able to play your cards even if you're like but i have so much ramp it's like well if you don't draw it then you're still stuck in the water you still need you still need lands to make your deck run yes for sure yeah I know you guys all want to play the sweetest cards you have, but sometimes you got to make some concessions. And honestly, it's it's not so bad. <laughs> Being able to play your cool cards is a lot better, better than having cool cards in your deck that just sit in your hand. Yes. So Agreed. Yeah. I think the biggest single lesson to take away here is that there's a lot of complexity to building your mana base. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people don't spend any time thinking about that complexity. Or and just not enough time. Even and, if you and, don't follow our philosophy of what you're doing just just spending time coming up with your own is going to be better than you know just sort of like throwing a bunch of lands in that are generally in the right colors and yeah, calling it good exactly yeah it's it's gonna this is one of the things i think that can up people's you know win percentage and definitely fun percentage by maybe the most like if there was yeah. one single thing they could do better improving their mana base could probably help their gaming experience almost more than any other thing they could do. Yeah, it's easy to get caught in a rut, too, and to see a lot of new players doing this, where they're like, oh, well, you know, I just keep getting mana screwed, or I keep not getting the colors I need. And it's like, well, that's part of the deck building. It's part of the 100 cards is your lands. It's actually more than a third of your deck. So you should be spending a proportionate amount of time to make sure that you're, you know, really taking care to put the right stuff in your deck. And let's talk about something really quick here, which is sample size and not making decisions and changes to your deck based on the outcomes of small amounts of samples. Right. So if you play your deck one time and you didn't get any blue, man, we see this all the time too. Um, you don't have to go in and tear, you don't it all take apart. Out, tear it apart and put a bunch of blue man in and take a bunch of red man out. That was one game. We've yeah. talked about variance. Variance is going to happen. You don't, that's just too small of a sample size to know. Like you can't be outcome based like that. Mm-hmm. You have to be sort of, you have to trust the process. And the process is usually like looking taking everything apart, looking at the percentages, making the right mana spread, and then playing the deck a lot. Now, if over the course of many, many games, you're encountering the same problem, 
then it's maybe a real problem. Yeah. But if the first two times you play it, you didn't learn anything. That could just be attributable to variance. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, keep all those things in mind. And that sort of wraps up our two-parter episode on mana bases. Now, we are nowhere near done. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that we definitely missed and have not touched upon. Um, and I'm sure you guys are, some of you might be thinking about it right now. So if you guys have any comments or anything that you wanted to ask more about or just maybe help enlighten our other viewers about, you guys can always or leave. Us. A, or us. yeah, of course. You can always leave a comment on the Rocket Jump page, which is rocketjump.com slash the command zone. Or you can just tweet at us. Uh, we'll retweet tons of stuff if it's really relevant information. And, and I've learned so much from what you guys have sent in that I feel like, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm actually, you know, just reteaching what everyone else is telling me. <laughs> I, I do prefer the comment section because it lives for longer. Yeah, and allows us to reply to it as well and get a discussion going, which is important. And then anybody down the road who wants to learn about mana bases in EDH, like the basic philosophies are not likely to change. So this, mm-hmm. these two episodes are going to be able to stand for a while. And so, you know, somebody months or or you know, maybe a years down the line that comes and finds this, we'll get to see the dis- the discussion in the comments section and that can help them just as much as the show. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and those comments do live forever. Forever. So. Forever, ever. Forever, ever. Forever, ever. So yeah, thank you guys for commenting, by the way. It's been really cool because there are a lot of podcasts on Rocket Jump and uh, we definitely have the most comments. Just, uh, <laughs> just throwing it just out saying. there. Just, just saying. saying, just saying. All right, are we ready for the end step? Oh, the end step. What was I going to talk about? We, just, we were saying something. Oh, that's right. Technology. Technology. This is our technology segment. Yeah. Uh, it's cool. I use a lot of digital recorders um, for filming and stuff. And if you guys have been on film sets as well, you know that there's always a sound guy. And they usually have you know something they hook microphones into. And then they'll boom something. They'll throw up a mic. And they record all their stuff separately, and that's why you always see people like doing the clapper. Oh uh, yeah, so people that, do probably don't know that the clapper, the thing they so, put down when they go, so and so movie take seven clack. clack. That clack is actually how you sync the sound to the picture. Mm-hmm. Because if you're looking at the sound wave, that clack will be a noticeable spike, and then you can just find the video where it hits at the exact same time, and then line those up, and then your audio that you've recorded separately syncs up. But usually for this show, we use a uh, a, a digital audio sort of recording device that cooks hooks into the computer but for the first time we're recording these on a new zoom recorder so i actually have it's like small and sleek it's small and sleek i don't actually get to see it on my computer it takes up space on a memory card and hopefully this will make the whole process easier to send the files to our sound guy eli our editor so uh, i'm excited to see how it turns out the levels might be a little different if you guys hear something and you're like that sounds terrible or whatever let me know so i can fix it but i think i think it's gonna work I'm all for upgrading in technology. We may have slight growing pains with it, but in the long run, yeah. yeah. Well, this also will help us go mobile. We can take this anywhere. This, this is, is for nice Vegas, th- baby. Yeah, this is for Vegas. I've been preparing. See? Jimmy, getting ready. Yeah. I like it's it. It's cool, too, because this takes up approximately like a third of the amount of space as it's the other one did. It's only slightly larger than my phone. It's thicker, but as far as like surface area, it's v- it's very similar. It's crazy how small technology is getting. Yeah, in. do you remember? That thing, This to do what this thing's doing right now, used to take like a soundboard probably the size <laughs> of a playmat. <laughs> That's true. And let's not forget like how much... Remember when memory cards used to be like like this big and or, remember, or USB like, stick was like 200 megabytes. Yeah. We were like, holy crap. <laughs> I'll never well, use that. Yeah. And now it's like, you can fit 32 gigabytes on a tiny micro SD card. That's like the size of half of your nail. Uh, so, it's a crazy world. My it friend. is a crazy world. Things keep getting smaller and hopefully this co- podcast continues to get bigger. I don't know. I just, like that. That was good. That was, that was <laughs> just good. And on that out. note, please remember to tell your friends about the show. Yes. Um, you know, we've been really trying to get the word out there about our show lately. You guys can really help us out by just encouraging people in your mm-hmm. play group to check it out. And, uh, you know, 
know, tell just tell everybody you see. Yes. Just tell them all. And our growth directly affects you guys too because that means we get more stuff to give away. We have more chances to do cool stuff like Dragon Week. Like Josh and I just came up with it. Well, Josh came up with it just like one night. Like, why don't we just do this? And I was like, all right, I'll build the infographic. And the next day we're off and running to the races because you guys are really great fans. And if we didn't have you guys there to support the show we wouldn't do stuff like that exactly know, so and uh one shout out to our sister podcast the masters of modern if you haven't checked it out you should if you yep. if you have and you're not still listening i don't know why alex and ben are awesome you can find them on twitter at the mm cast and you can also find their podcasts on rocketjump.com right beside ours yep they have great guests they talk about all things modern and also just competitive play so if you're on that uh, side of the fence make sure you check them out a lot of good stuff there All right, guys, thanks for listening. All right, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.